This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to the Varsity Club podcast. We are uh, podcasting live from the Hale Varsity offices in the rail yard. And I am super thrilled to be joined today by Hale Varsity Managing Editor Extraordinaire, Brandon Vogel. Hello. You're here in person. Applause, but more, more applause for being here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's good to do one of these in person finally. Normally we're uh, just connected via Skype, so... We'll see. I, I, I feel the energy in the room. I think it'll come across for the listen, listeners. That sounds good. What's going on with your hat right now? My hat? Uh, it's got a skeleton on it. That's pretty much it. Man. It's like a corduroy hat. It is a corduroy hat. It's, it's my very fall cool. hat. Thanks. Brandon Vogel, um, collector of fantastic cardigans and super cool hats. <laughs> I, I've always been a hat guy. I, I wrote about it one time because it's like I was cleaning stuff out of my parents' basement and I had so many of like the most random collection of teams when i was from when i was a, a teenager um so i photographed them all and then got rid of them but i still have all the photographs so there's an archive of them i'm a heck guy let's just get ready well stanley morgan likes your hats that's what i was gonna say <laughs> stanley morgan jr loves your hats that's true he did he did enjoy a camouflage hat i had earlier this season <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Nebraska football in general just likes camouflage hats. I think they do. That's, that's true. It's, it's become kind of a motif this season. I mm-hmm. think that's going to stick around. We're going to talk about Michigan State today. Joining us later on the podcast is going to be John LeBlanc. He's the football guy for the football guy, if I can talk, uh, for the state news out in East Lansing. Um, so we're going to get to a conversation with him a little bit later. We're going to talk about kind of what is up with Michigan State this season because they got a really, really good offense or a really, really good defense and a really, really bad offense so we will uh, catch up with him on kind of what's going on with them a little bit later but Brandon since uh, we haven't had you on the podcast too much this season um, I kind of want to just start this one with general thoughts from you or or kind of like an overview of how you think this season has gone for Nebraska (laughs) not the way I expected it to go I expected there to be a pretty you know I I ended up talking myself into you know a seven or eight win season by the time we we finally got to to kick off but the but the key to it was i thought nebraska would sort of continually get better and i think you can actually argue that maybe that happened you know well, the, the, those early games they played so well against colorado that it kind of led everyone to believe hey, well you should have won that game you lost it but they're already ahead of schedule and then they kind of regressed a little bit so i guess even that's not not totally true but if you'd come in and said, so Nebraska has two games left, um, it's pro- they'll both be, I think, toss-up games. So say they split. They end up 4-8. Same as Mike Riley. Like if you had said that in August, I would have thought, well, that's, that's kind of a disastrous first season considering that people want to see progress. But contextually, having seen everything we've seen and they have a chance to, you know, finish with, let's see. Four and two, five and one over over the last six. Like I think people are going to come out of that feeling way better than anyone would have expected if they're at four and eight. So it's it's been a strange journey, but Nebraska has gone from it's going to take some time, have patience to mm-hmm. trendy really fast for this last half. Yeah, well, um, Scott Frost on Thursday made the comment that we're a dangerous team right now. Um, do you subscribe to the notion that hey, this is still going to take a little bit of time because they are catching some teams um, maybe who are kind of lollygagging a little bit or is it like you know this is for real they got a chance to go five and one over the last six games after the zero and six start like you said are you are you like yo this is for real this team is coming yeah i i'm I'm leaning more towards the latter that the latter um the schedule eased up a little bit over the last six like you you know you can't ignore that like Michigan State was long viewed as kind of the toughest game of that backstretch minus Ohio State. Even that Ohio State game was kind of diminished from what you would have thought in, in August. And, and here comes Michigan State at, at six and four with uh, a elite defense and a, and a terrible, terrible offense. So they're, they're not what, you know, most people thought. They're not what their preseason ranking said they were. And, and Iowa looked great, but has come back to the pack a little bit too. So you got to factor that in. 
And you, you also have to wonder about defensively. That's going to be the topic of the offseason because with Adrian Martinez in place, with the numbers they put up over the second half, people are going to be like, offense is good. How do we fix the defense in the offseason? And then go 11-1 and in 2019. You know, that's putting the cart way before the horse. But you look at the schedule. Uh, you look at the fact that Adrian Martinez will be back. Uh, I think they're in a good spot to take a big, big jump in, in 2019. Um, with with a, a weapon as dangerous as this offense is, uh, you, you buy your defense a lot of time to to slowly improve, I think. Well, let's, let's talk about defense because after the Illinois game last week where they gave up 35 points to an, an Illinois team that has a good offense, but so many people look at them as name only. It's Illinois. You shouldn't be giving up 30 points to Illinois. Um, I had a conversation with my dad over the weekend. So my dad grew up a Nebraska fan. He was he was he was born and raised here, um, and and I had a conversation with him that I think is pretty representative of the larger Nebraska public, um, in the sense that you know he he was like, when I was growing up, my uh, memories of Nebraska football when it was really really good was bone crushing black shirts like seventeen to three. Like you're not going to get anything easy against them. You're not going to be able to run the ball. It's going to be a nightmarish day for opposing offenses, and this is him speaking. My my take on Nebraska is Nebraska football is not back until that is back with the black shirts. And so I, I think that is a lot of people right now. Um, is that stuff coming back? It's going to be tough to reach those levels, I think, just with the way this thing's built. you know. And with an offense as powerful as Nebraska's can be, as it was at UCF, as it was at Oregon, you know, you're, you're sort of incentivized to to get them the ball back. It's, it, it, you know, you want as many possessions for your best weapon as, as you can get in a game. Uh, now, so the two-minute drive f- for your defense probably doesn't bother you that much. Now, you don't want to give up touchdowns too many, but, like, if you do, I mean, that's kind of the no fear of failure mantra there. They're like, go get the ball. Like, you know, sell out, try and get the interception. If the guy goes 60 yards for a touchdown, well, not not ideal by any means, but it means our offense has the ball back, and teams are going to have to come up with a way to stop that offense. So it's it's a different way of thinking. Now, the numbers that we're seeing for Nebraska right now, um, they've got to come down a little bit, and I think I think they can. Uh, you know, that first UCF defense was under five yards of play. The second one was a little bit over. You know, Nebraska's at pretty close to six right now, I think, if I remember correctly. So. There's, there's room to make gains there. Um, you, you look at their profile, and defensively, there's not a ton they do well. Um, they started forcing turnovers, though, and, that, and that's a key piece. I think also, like at least the stuff that I've been looking at, there's not a ton that they're terrible at. Right. They're really just an average defense, and I think that's the way... Like I, like, I think Scott Frost privately will just say, look, if we score one more point than the other team, I don't care. Right. We won. Um, and, and, you know, when you have that kind of mentality as a head coach who has that level of confidence in his offense that just give us the ball and we're going to go score because they're not going to be able to stop us. I think that emboldens a defense, like you said, the no fear of failure thing to just not really care about yardage and not really care about some of the more traditional stuff as long as they can create some turnovers, uh, which they have been over the last couple of weeks. But they also, you know, like you said, um, they got to add a little bit more talent, a little bit more depth. Is that, you know, we had a question in our mailbag this week on HailVarsity.com that uh, what is what is keeping Nebraska's defense from being elite in the Big Ten? What what was your answer to that? You know, I so I, I look at this as th- there's kind of two ways to, to get a defense that could really cause teams problems. And one is sort of the Clemson-Alabama model where, I mean, those teams are good across the board, but they're really defined by dominant defensive lines. And that's that's a championship winning model as as we've seen, but like defensive linemen, you know, we talk about recruiting areas and all that stuff, and it's a little fuzzier, I think, than most people make out. Except for defensive linemen, like those guys are in the South; they stay in the South for a large part. It's it's gonna be tough for Nebraska, I think, to be a defensive line led team, but I think they can be a secondary led team, and I think I think that would work for them. You know, you think back to sort of the 2009-10 stretch for Nebraska where, well, they had Sue in 2009, which helped a lot. But those teams, in my mind, as I remember them, were really strong when you had guys like Prince of Mukamara and Afonso Dennard. Um, They just had really, really good secondary play, guys that went to the league. 
And I think if they get that here with this defense, that's their way to be the toughest. Um, so, you know, my answer to that was kind of, they need a little bit of a talent upgrade, I think. Like, to, you know, you look at it, you look towards 2019, you got Lamar Jackson, who's made strides of late. DiCaprio Boodle's made strides. I mean, you, you've got your two starting quarterbacks, presumably, but it'll be an open competition in the fall or in the spring. Um, and you got to replace basically, you know, your top three, three out of four safeties, something like that. Also, got to replace a lot of your defensive line. Yeah, wait, wait. and your your front seven really because you're going to lose Young and Luke Gifford, and you're going to lose. Are the Davis twins juniors or seniors? <coughs> they're they're juniors. They'll be back, okay. uh, but you lose Mick, you lose Freedom, Stilly will be back. But you know, you're looking at a, a new inside linebacker potentially. Who knows that outside linebacker you're losing Gifford? Um, so yeah, though it'll be a lot lot new on on defense and. It'll be interesting to see how that unfolds in the, the offseason, if that's a sign of encouragement for <laughs> people. Because, you know, when you'll, you'll look at Nebraska's year in numbers, they'll be like, well, maybe it's good that they only return, you know, four starters or whatever it ends up being. Just as an aside, uh, Ben Stilley has kind of, like, I expected him to have a better season than what he's had. Yeah, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't racked up the numbers. I think I think he's still having a, a positive impact overall. You know, it'd be interesting in the offseason to kind of sit down with Mike Dawson and and talk about that. Like, I mean, I mean, I wonder what he's actually grading out as. Mm-hmm. However, Nebraska, you know, decides to grade out defensive linemen. My feeling is that it, it would be pretty high. Like, he he's in the right spots. Like, I think he he's pretty assignment sound. Um, you know, in our like bold prediction things, like I thought he'd play himself into like all big 10 contention, not first team, but like maybe honorable mention. And I don't think he's going to get there. He doesn't have the numbers to do that, but I, I think he'll be kind of one of the rocks for the defense, even going into 2019. I, I'm still sticking with him. That's the thing with him. He doesn't have a lot of the numbers, but he has a lot of the, like, he's not going to make a ton of mistakes. He's going to be in his fits. He's going to be assignment sound and things like that. It, and it, if you can have a bunch of guys that are just like that in this defense, is that, I mean, is that what you want? I think so. I mean, it's it, talking to the players this week about Michigan State's defense. You know, I was trying to get a sense for like, what is it? Why are they so good? And and the coaches too. And every one of them, like I heard, sort of gap sound more this week. That's something you hear from coaches. Uh, you don't usually hear it from players, but Brendan Hymas mentioned it. You know, when talking about how they defend the run, and they're just they're really really good at being where they're supposed to be which which sounds pretty simple and and, and frost you know is interesting he, he didn't really go into it but mentioned their personnel like he if if you want to get a sense of maybe what nebraska's defense could look like pay close attention to what michigan state looks like because he seemed pretty enamored with the personnel they've been able to do and you know michigan state different area of the country but pretty similar recruiting profile i think to nebraska in terms of the players they tend to get and the players they can get. Well, and they're a lot like what you were talking about earlier. They're a front seven-led defense. They're a defense that is predicated on uh, stopping the run, stone cold, and forcing you into passing downs. Yeah, and and they get into passing downs, and they've got the secondary, too, that can usually cover. You know, their schemes have switched a little bit. Um, when Narduzzi was there, they used to be the, the no-fly zone, you know, and they put, they put a ton on their secondary. Uh, and I think since then... Uh, they've transitioned a little bit, you know, and they had some great defensive linemen then too, but transitioned a little bit to being, I mean, they're just, they're kind of solid all over, but they can cause havoc up front. And that's, that's the biggest part. You know, those, those guys are assignment sound again, but they're also playmakers and you get both of those things. You're going to, you're going to, well, you're going to hold teams to like less than three yards carry. So I was listening to on my, on one of my drives uh, this week, I was listening to the low post podcast, um, that's where this intro actually came from. That's the inspiration for this intro. If anybody listens to the low post, somebody asked me on Twitter. Yes, that's where that came from. Zach Lowe is probably one of the most intelligent uh, basketball writers that there is. He's a Brandon Vogel at the NBA media market. <laughs> um, but I was listening to him. He had a uh, he did an interview with Evan Turner from the Portland Trailblazers, and one of the questions he asked him, he he was like, you know, I didn't believe in culture. I didn't think it was a I didn't think it was a thing. I, it was it was like something that everybody always talked about, but I didn't think it was an actual thing that could have 
you know, an impact on the team or an impact on a season or things like that. And he, until he met Damian Lillard for the Portland Trailblazers, and he said that that guy just uses culture just because of the way he's so team first, you know, when they do um, voluntary team activities or voluntary community service, like he's there, he's doing that, he's keeping his teammates accountable and doing all that stuff. Um, and I thought, I thought that was really interesting because this season maybe has put that whole like, can culture have an impact on a football team? or just on a sports team in general. Like, I think this Nebraska season is really kind of... That that has been one of the biggest talking points. Like, culture. Is it is it... Is that as big of a reason for this offensive improvement over the last six games? Because 0-6 to a chance at 5-1. and The personnel didn't change. I mean, a couple guys have left, but for the most part, they're still playing the same people. So what is, is it... What is it about culture that has such an impact well i think i think culture was a was a big part of it and as as nebraska sort of faded a little bit under bo pelini i mean the, the record never got that bad but it was clear it was pretty stagnant they struggled to kind of reach you know 2009 10 they had a great shot to really move into like a top 15 echelon you know like be pretty close to elite, um, played in conference championship games, and then it started to fade. Bo Pelini gets fired. Mike Riley, we know how that went. Um, and the question I asked myself, like, all the time when they would have these big losses to Wisconsin or Ohio State or whoever, is like, why are these guys showing up to football facility every day? Um, and there was never a good answer. Like, the term I always used was, it's just football. Like, and, you know, it's cool to play football at the University of Nebraska, if you want to win like Nebraska has won in the past, you've got to have a reason you're going to do it. So that's, I think, where culture comes in. And, you know, one of the things that I always notice with coaches, and I certainly notice it with this staff, uh, you see it a lot with Nebraska volleyball, is they all start to kind of talk in the same way. And I think that's a good sign that, that the culture's taking. So, you know, the no fear of failure, failure thing. Um, the I'm trying to think of what the other one that I always hear is. Well, I've heard more players say faceless, nameless opponent over yeah, the last maybe five one. weeks than I did. Like, they didn't mention it at all at the beginning of the season. We hear it a ton now. Yeah, and playing playing for the guy to your left and the guy to your right, yep. that's another one. You know, Frost started saying that in the summer, is at least when I, I'm sure he probably started, said it during spring too. Um, but now you're starting to hear it from everyone. And that's that's a sign that culture is taking. You know, and we, and we know that uh, – can't remember which game it was but basically the players took more of holding each other accountable you know early in the season that player only meeting and then they went and met with frost and that had an impact i, I think adrian martinez just getting more experience had an impact uh on, on their turnaround over the second half of the season and just familiarity with with the offense like they, they've gotten those playmakers in divine Zigbo uh has, has been a big part of it too but you mentioned the um, the players only meeting in that that press conference. So that was the Purdue game, right? And I I have watched that post game press conference a couple times. Um, I've gone back and watched it. That was the one where Frost was was like uh, just tearing into players for. He said we we look like the most undisciplined team in the country, um, and you know the I won't put up with it, but the team has to not put up right. with it. And it was just like very emotional, very raw. That press conference to me, like I think five years from now. That press conference is going to live in like YouTube, Nebraska infamy. Yeah, because of like everything changed from that point, and the the players only meeting happened the next day. I really want to like figure out. I, I want to know more of that story. That's kind of one of the things that I want to do this summer. I want to know more of that weekend and what happened. Um, but I mean that that feels like like everybody talks about it. Like that's the turning point. Yeah. Was it as simple as? To you, was it as simple as guys weren't doing what we asked them to? Players weren't leading things. Players weren't keeping other players accountable. Now they are. Maybe. I mean, I, that's kind of what the evidence suggests at this point. Um, and, and you're right. That, that is the perfect offseason story that, that I want to read because I do think it has the potential to be a turning point. Like if this thing goes where – a lot of people, myself included, think it could go in the, the near future. Like that part is going to be a key, a key turning point because it, it's what you're always trying to get. And I think this, you know, as we've learned a little bit more, was one of the key things lacking in Riley, you know Riley's regime was you know 
the players weren't asked to really hold each other accountable. You know, we can talk about whoever the coach is here, bringing the unity council back, which makes people happy because it, you know, it was from the nineties and that's, that's all great and, and can be important. But what you're really trying to do is get to the point that they seem to be at now where like the players are the ones that do it, you know, not to go back to volleyball again, but John Cook mentioned it in his press conference this week. Uh, you know, he's like, he, he said jokingly somewhat, I think, like, yeah, I don't talk to the rest of the team. I just talk to the captains. He's like, that's all I need to do, um, which which may sound a little harsh, but I think it's actually a good thing. That's, that means you've got seniors you trust to, like, they're doing it. Like, we kind of set it and we show them, you know, where things are slipping or where things are improving. But we don't have to worry about it. Um, that's a good spot to be in. It's tougher with, you know, 150 guys on a football team, but uh, – they're getting there. They're getting closer, at least. Well, I think that's where Frost wants to be, too. Like, obviously, like, he's going to talk to them. Like, he's not going to just be like, nope, screw you, door's closed. But, like, when he – the stuff that needs to get said, it comes from the players as opposed to the coaching staff. And I think that's what they all want. Um, we're going we're gonna to go to my conversation with John LeBlanc, and then when we come back, we will talk about Michigan State because there's a football game this week. There is a football game. All right, let's switch gears now and talk about Michigan State football. And in order to do that, we're going to bring in a football guy from Michigan State, John LeBlanc from the State News. He's their football guy. John, what's up, man? How are you? Uh, not too bad, Derek. How about you? I am good. We are, uh, well, football's about to end, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. We've only got like two <laughs> games left, two weeks left. Yeah. And some of us yeah, are unfortunate. Two- some of us aren't as fortunate we don't get to go to a bowl game like you do. <laughs> yeah. It's it's something. <laughs> <laughs> You're lucky to be making a bowl game right now. Let's put it as that. Michigan State. Okay. <laughs> well, let's let's start there then. Why? Why do you say that? Um, just I mean, obviously the def- I mean, obviously the defense is the key point. This is just the offense this year has been just atrociously bad. I mean, if you look at points per game in terms of the scoring offense and the scoring defense, there's only a two-point difference or two-point difference in favor of the offense. Uh, Michigan State is averaging 21.7 points on offense, defensively only allowing 19.7 points. I mean, the Michigan State offense is ranked 117th in the nation. It's not like watching Michigan State offense right now is like clawing my eyes out. It's not, it's it's not visually appealing. Um, and with the quarterback situation between Brian Lewerke and Rocky Lombardi and how the coaches are handling that, um, it's just kind of it it causes a, it causes for concern, pretty much. That's what that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. So when you look at kind of the five factors, so like I look at uh, football study hall a ton. I look at their numbers a ton, and they they've got the five factors obviously. Mm-hmm. So you've got efficiency with success rate. Michigan State's offense is really bad. They're in the hundreds rank wise explosiveness mm-hmm. the offense is in the hundreds field position average starting field position the offense is in the hundreds points per scoring opportunity hundreds expected turnover mm-hmm. margin hundreds why why is the offense struggling so much is it can you pinpoint and say it's because you know Michigan State has lost Felton Davis and lost LJ Scott and Brian Lorkey got hurt and hasn't been the same guy or is there is there something else that is just not clicking with this offense right now I think you could definitely pin some of it on injuries. I know uh, about just after the Michigan game on October 20th, Antonio was still shy about not really pinning it on injuries, but pinning it on injuries. But as the season goes, keeps going, he's kind of you know, you know, pinned it on injuries just a, like a little bit um, because, like you said, the offense is just completely completely injured. Um, Felton, I think wide receivers, ten active wide receivers on the roster right now. All ten of them have been injured or out for a significant time at one point this season. I mean, that's just that's just really one really bad luck. And two, it doesn't really build a lot of consistency. Who Brian Lewerke here is looking for in checkdowns and stuff like that um, before he got the injury. And then the offensive line has also been pretty hurt. Uh, starting left guard David Beadle has been out for a month plus. Kevin right starting right guard Kevin Jarvis has just come back. Um, from a, really an unknown injury uh, after he missed like four straight games. And then starting center Matt Allen has been missing the last couple of weeks because of a, an unknown right foot injury. So, And then with the offensive line, it kind of doesn't allow um, 
Warwicky or Lombardi, whoever's back there to kind of maybe build consistency with, you know, who's going to block who, um, you know, just being more comfortable with the offensive line and how he's going to make reads when he, when he has to scramble and stuff like that. But it has been more consistent over the last few weeks. Um, at this point, it's just the injuries of, of more specifically the injury with Lewerke in his right shoulder. Um, that's kind of what's been holding back. And not having that felt, not having Felton Davis, you know, who was really Lewerke's go-to guy. I mean, before the injury um, and while the right receivers were still hampered, Lewerke would be, if Lewerke needed to play, he'd just toss it up to Felton Davis and be like, go get it. And Felton Davis, him and Felton Davis were really on the same page with that because Felton even said, I just want to, he just needs to throw it up there and I can go get it. So, yeah, mostly injuries is kind of, it's kind of been the story of this offense, but, uh, you know, having now with this quarterback situation with, you know, Rocky kind of having a good game against Purdue, Purdue, although does not have the best pass defense. And then, uh, with Brian harboring a right shoulder injury. And then before that, it wasn't really performing at what we all expected. It's definitely, I, there's just a lot of it's kind of missive injuries and drama going on is why this offense is not really producing that what everybody thought could be a, one of the top offenses of the nation. According to the yeah, there's just a lot of moving parts. I mean, I know, so Michigan state returned 10 starters on offense. They returned 10, uh, nine starters on defense. They had the most returning mm-hmm. production of anybody in the country. When you look at mm-hmm. the passing game specifically over the last couple of weeks, like Felton Davis has missed four games, the last four games, uh, and he still leads mm-hmm. the team and catches uh, receiving yards mm-hmm. and, and receiving touchdowns. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just I that's still hard to believe. I mean, uh, I mean, like like I said, Purdue, everybody was going gun ho about uh, Rocky and Lombardi. They still are, uh, considering that work he has going on the record like yeah i'm hurt um and just like i shouldn't be playing right now uh that's just it's just it's a really this is honestly a really weird situation because um like i was talking about with the connections you know being familiar with certain wide receivers um one of the like let's say i would say brian brian lewerke and felton davis is rocking lombardi to tight end matt dotson um lombardi and dotson have a lot of connection like have a good connection uh, but yeah, it just can't get anything going. I know when Lombardi has subbed in, let's say uh, after the Purdue game, so Maryland and Ohio State, um, he's been he has had Lombardi has had a couple drives, had a couple drives against uh, Ohio State, but after like a couple good drives, just to clarify on that. Uh, but he did after that, he kind of didn't perform up to the standards of Mark Antonio and offensive coordinator, uh, Dave Warner. So they threw the work in back in the fourth quarter, which everybody was kind of su- surprised and kind of like, why? Just because Lewerke is injured, still injured. Um, and Lombardi didn't show and just to kind of keep, okay. Just to kind of keep, you know, Lewerke out the field, let him heal and stuff like that. So I think that answers your question. I'm not completely yeah. sure. I kind of went on a, like a side rant there. No, you're great. You're great. So, I mean, that, that like that, I think that's the most important question to to answer with this team right now, um, and and a question that a lot of Husker fans kind of want answered heading into this weekend is like, so mm-hmm. so is it going to be Brian Lewerke that starts the game, or is it going to be Rocky Lombardi? And if it's Lewerke, like I I've seen that quote that you're referencing where he's like, I'm not 100, percent and I probably shouldn't be playing until I am. Why why is mm-hmm. D'Antonio continuing to go with an injured quarterback over a guy that? is not injured. <laughs> uh, I mean, your guess is, I mean, he has been, one thing I will commend Antonio for this, he always gives his players, his starting players, an opportunity to, you know, redeem themselves, you know, keep playing if they can play and stuff like that. I do commend him for that. I think I wrote in my column a couple of weeks ago that, uh, like, it was immediately after uh, Lombardi had his game, and I was like, you know, Lorkey, Lombardi, like, yeah, Lombardi had a good showing, but that's for the future right now. It's still Brian Lewerke's game. He, he's only slightly injured. Let's see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Then the next couple of weeks happen, and I think it's just Antonio is so set on, a, you know, keeping the starting quarterback, giving the starting quarterback who's had success. I mean, this going into this year, nobody expected Brian Lewerke to have, have only eight touchdowns and nine interceptions. I mean, I – ask any Spartan fan or medium member, I don't think anybody expected us to have have him have yeah, had to have him have that bad of a season. Um, you know, with two games left in the season. So I think 
I just I think it's just too D'Antonio, like I said, D'Antonio Dave Warner is just too stuck on the starter. Um from what it sounds like Tuesday from during his within his conference Tuesday, it looks like Brian Lewerke will be the starter. Um and then he kinda of reaffirmed that last night in his radio weekly radio show. He's like you when asked about the uh, QB situation, he's like, you, you've seen the news, you've seen what I said, just go read that. So it's looking like unless Lewerke is – the right shoulder injury gets even worse, it looks like it's going to be Lewerke on Saturday. Interesting. So let's let's switch over to uh, the positive for Michigan State because they're, <laughs> they're six and four right now. Um, but I, I think – the four wins, maybe you could pin them on the offense, and a lot of the or the four losses, maybe you could pin them on the offensive struggles, and maybe a lot of the wins, you could say, yeah, Michigan State has a phenomenal defense. What what is making this defense so fantastic? It starts all up front with the front seven, uh, with the run defense, especially with the defensive tackles, Raekwon Williams, Mike Pandeshuk, Nate Horn Jones, and Gerald Owens. I mean. My, my parents, you and Raekwon Williams are obviously the starters, but the back, what's really key here is the backups and Nick Juan Jones and Gerald Owens. I mean, when Raekwon and uh, Mike come out, it, there's pretty much no level. There's maybe like a tiny, tiny, small drop-off of production. I mean, those four can just get up and stuff the run. Um, Nick Juan Jones, especially as of late, has been able to get in the back backfield in the, in the, when teams go to back to pass. I think he's had three straight games with the sack and started like a – I think the first game was his first career sack, so he's been starting to really pick it up. And then uh, the pressure inside with the run defense and in the pass um, allows the defensive ends, you know, kind of get around, especially with when you got a guy like Kenny Wilkins, who is just, especially in big games, is just a monster. And then he was my breakout candidate. He he was my breakout candidate heading it. Yeah, yep. Yeah. I thought he was in for a season. Oh, yeah. He's been. He's actually, he's just been outstanding. I mean, like if you know Kenny Wilkins is good for like one or two t- tackle for losses a game, maybe at least in like a sack or two. Um, it's but even if he doesn't get a sack or t- TFL, he definitely you notice his pressure that he creates on the quarterback. I mean, it's just it's something else. Like it's like last week against Ohio State, there's about four times he should have had a sack, but Dwayne Haskins was able to get the ball out. It was just it was Kenny Wilkins is really another player. Um, but what was this? Oh, yeah, about the run defense. Uh, and then it allows linebackers, you know, to kind of do do what they do best. It allows Joe opens up lanes for, like, Joe Bocci, um, Joe Bocci, <laughs> Andrew Dowell and stuff like that. I don't know why I was trying to blank on Andrew Dowell's name. Um, but, and then on third down, it allows where they usually have just the defensive tackles and two linebackers like Antoine Simmons and Brandon Boyer uh, Randall to kind of create pressure. It just really all starts with the defensive tackles, and then it kind of follows through with the rest of the defense. So Michigan State's uh, run defense, like you said, one of the best in the country, and it's not—I mean, it's not really up for debate. They're they, they're second mm-hmm. in rushing S and P defensively. Um, they're second nationally in uh, average yards per carry against. I think they give something like two point five yards a carry on average, mm-hmm. um, and they have they have more run stuffs than anybody in the country. Um, and so that kind of run defense is leading them to really, really good efficiency on passing downs. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of curious what your take on this defense is because Nebraska's offense is going to present kind of a, maybe a different look in the sense that there's a dual-threat quarterback back there and a dual-threat quarterback mm-hmm. that, can, that can be really effective running the ball but has also shown that he's really, really effective throwing the ball. So how is the, the back end of Michigan State's defense? How's that secondary? Are there any concerns at all heading into this game about kind of the look that Martinez can provide maybe in the play action pass um, or, you know, with, with shots down the field? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you asked me before the Penn State game um, on October 13th, I would say yes. But after the way they were able to kind of handle Chase McSorley, surprisingly, I didn't, I don't think anybody really expected us to handle them that well. Um, I don't. I don't think there's too much concern, especially it seems as of late. Um, the one big concern, at least early in the season, was with the run defense being so well. That's just going to force the offense to pretty much just chuck the ball down the field every play. And up until about Penn State, that's what offenses on opposing teams were able to do. And they were getting like 350 yard passers. Yet you know it was on like 50 to 60 pass attempts. Um, but no, I think, I think Michigan State defense will be able to handle Martinez decently well. Um, it might be not as well, 
you know, Lamartine's may not be as well as Chase McSorley as the first name that came to my mind, the way they handled a, those type of uh, Russian dual threat quarterbacks. But I think they'll be able to handle them well. They'll probably have Car- like maybe Carter Willis up a little bit more um, in their Delta packages on Thursday down. Uh, Matt Morrissey will be involved a lot. Um, they might even throw Matt Morrissey out a little bit more as kind of like a QB spy because he is a hard-hitting safety that's able to get up and down the field pretty well. Uh, and then maybe on the start linebacker, maybe like an Andrew Dowell or like an Antoine Sims to be able to kind of spy on him a little bit. I mean, don't get me wrong, Andrew Martinez will definitely, you know, break away for like a couple 10, 15 yarders. Um, that's pretty much, that's pretty much a guarantee, you know, because that's how scrambling, that's how good scrambling quarterbacks work. And from what I see, Andrew, Andrew and Martinez is definitely a good scrambling quarterback. Um, but yeah, I don't think they'll have too much worry or too much issues with Martinez, but. I wouldn't also, just the way Michigan State football has been this season, I wouldn't be too surprised if, you know, he broke away from maybe like 100 yards or something. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> you made a you made a comment there that, that I want to talk about next. Uh, wouldn't be surprised given the way Michigan State football has been this season. So, mm-hmm. Michigan, I mean, that's like, that's like been the case over the last like four years. So Michigan State, when they went to the college football playoff, however many years ago that was, I think it was 2015, uh, they were yeah. not expected – to, to go to the college football playoff. I think it was 10 expected wins that were actually 12. Um, and then they had the really bad year, which I think it was five expected wins and they had three. And then last <laughs> year it was eight expected wins and they had 10. So they overachieved, underachieved, overachieved. And now, you know, they came in with a 10 and three uh, expectation by S and P, excuse me, um, 10 and three, mm-hmm. and they're sitting at six and four. So by that they're underachieving um, is, mm-hmm. Would you call this a disappointing season? And if so, is that kind of roller coaster that Michigan State continues to ride? Is that all because of the injuries? Uh, dude, disappointing season. Let me see. I wouldn't say, dude. I would kind of say. I'm trying to say. I wouldn't say disappointing. I'd say maybe underwhelming. Um, just because at least. If you're looking at the offensive defense and the special teams, at least the defense has been up to standards. What we can maybe a little bit more above expectations from what everybody expected going into the season. Um, offensively, and then like on offensively, or offensively, God, I can't speak right now. <laughs> offensively would be uh, only place I would say I think it would be worse than disappointing. I think it would be because like I said, Washington Michigan State offense right now is atrocious. It's not. It's, you look at all the other college football games, you're like, oh, they scored. The team scored over 30 points. Wow, that'd be, like, nice to see in a game <laughs> when, when I'm covering. Um, but, yeah, I would say it's just the entire team is underwhelming um, compared to their expectations the previous season. Because Michigan State, before the season, you know, 19 of 22 were starters. A lot of people picked them as a dark horse candidate and maybe sleep, uh, slip into the college football playoff. Um, Brian Lewerke as a dark horse Heisman candidate, uh, but obviously inju- injuries you can can draw back because I mean I guess Utah State who now is ranked was they're like in the like number twenty three number twenty two in the nation right now no yeah, like, they're, they're nine and one <laughs> yeah I'm like, and their only loss is Michigan State which I'm actually looking back at it right now I think that was probably their Michigan State's best offensive game um but yeah the, I think injuries does actually play a pretty big factor into it because. You know, you kind of just go through the games. I mean, even starting off, you don't have quarterback exercise guy. Who is that um, now? We should expect him to see him on Saturday unless something crazy happens. Um, in Arizona State, you lose starting partner Jake Hartbarger, which that punting situation also now weird to the fact that the that either the fourth punter on the depth chart or the fifth punter on the depth chart could play on Saturday. Um, that's, so that's been fun to cover. And Dan Tony even said, I think we have the most punter depth in the nation. <laughs> uh, in terms of going through three injured punters who are now out for the season. Um, and then, yeah, you just keep on looking. I'm looking at the schedule right now. You just keep seeing, you know, fewer and fewer points scored and more injuries packing up. So I think injuries definitely play a big factor. And just the fact that the offense never really got off to a good start. Um, even at the beginning of the season, Brian Lorkey had issues before his injury. Um, that just kind of adds on to, you know, the Rocky Hyde train. It just and then LJ Scott obviously not also not getting on the right foot and having to just join like a like a running back committee of Connor Hayward, Darius Jefferson, um, and definitely just the offense. 
really key here is the offense and how it never really got onto a right foot, and that's kind of what developed an underwhelming season. To answer the second part of your question, does it go into the next, uh, into 2019? God, I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't. Th- I don't think so because they're still going to be returning a lot of starters. I mean, off the top of my head, I think they're on, on offense. Obviously, outside of Felton Davis, they're only losing. They're losing Matt Sokol, the, the usual starting tight end, who's usually on there for uh, running and pass protection. And starting left guard David Beadle on defense, they're only losing Andrew Dowell and uh, Kari Willis. And the linebackers at Michigan State, you know, it's pretty much like a rotating door who's in next, and they can pretty much handle, um, you know, their business. And yeah, I think I think they'll def- I think we'll be having the same type of conversation preseason hype conversation next year. Also, just because everybody's coming back, pretty much outside of maybe you know people will want more Rocky Lombardi than Brian Lewerke, which based on D'Antonio's comments, um, I don't think that. Rocky will start over Lewerke anytime soon. At least I wouldn't put my money on it if I was in Vegas. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at their their game log. So so Michigan State scored 38 points in the opener against Utah State. That's the the most mm-hmm. that they've scored in a game this season. So in mm-hmm. in it looks like all six of their wins they've scored 20 points or more. In all four of mm-hmm. their losses they've been held under 20 points. If Michigan State wins on Saturday. Is it as simple as saying the offense had a good day? Or give me a a Michigan State wins if blank. Michigan State wins if they can finally find some consistency on offense. Um, just in the all-aspects of the game, if Brian Lewerke starts, which is looking like it, um, him being able to at least hit some of those easy passes. Because for Brian, it hasn't been really – he hasn't been really able to – you know, hit some of those easy, like, 15-yard passes or whatever. He's been overthrowing them a lot. Same with Rocky since his Purdue game. So, whatever – so, let's say Brian, who's presumably going to start, um, let's say he starts hitting those passes, he offensive line creates some holds for Connor Hayward and Ladarius Jefferson, like they did against Maryland a couple weeks ago. Um, that's how Michigan State wins if the offense actually builds some consistency, like they did against Maryland and not kind of fall apart like they did against Ohio State. Okay, so go the other way. Michigan State loses and Nebraska wins if blank. Um, if obviously if the offense doesn't do anything, you know, if they play, if the defense can hold, can somewhat hold Michigan State offense and put the pressure on the Michigan State defense and uh, force the Michigan State offense to have a lot of three and outs and stuff and tires out the defense a little bit, that's one factor. And another, I can see, you know. Like one or two just breakaway plays, like a like a seventy yard pass or something, or a fifty yard run. Um, Nebraska wins if they can pull off some big plays, which I've heard the atmosphere Memorial Stadium. I that's why I'm kind of mad. I don't get to travel for this game, but I wanted to because I want to experience that atmosphere and the Memorial Stadium and all the players that I talked to this week um, who were mentioning who played back in that 2015 game. So the atmosphere Memorial Stadium is second to none, pretty much throughout the country. So Nebraska. Yeah, so Nebraska wins if they can hold the offense, force the defense to play to play a lot on the field, and eventually tiring out the defense, just you know get a couple breakaway plays and some laxes in coverage. Which I will say would be harder. Uh, it's harder now now that a cornerback Josiah Scott, um, you know, all freshman, all freshman team last year in the nation, um, is finally he's been finally playing 100 percent since uh, I believe Ohio State. Yeah, since last week played a little bit against Maryland, so that kind of makes things a little more tough. But like Kari Willis was even saying post game uh, last week, he's he's really all the cornerbacks are really excited to play those Nebraska wide receivers. So I think Saturday can de- Saturday can definitely be a very interesting game. Yeah, Nebraska's offense has built up a reputation as one of the better ones in the country right now, just in terms of how they're clicking and and I think you know maybe that that might be a a strategy for Nebraska heading into this one is to try to turn this into a into a shootout if you can get some some things flowing offensively and get some chunk plays and turn this into a high scoring mm-hmm. game. I think they feel pretty good about their chances against Michigan State's offense. Um what say you on score prediction? How do you how do you think this game ends? Ooh, I think see uh, I will go I'm gonna go Michigan State twenty seven, Nebraska twenty four. Just so Michigan State covers the fact that I think you know, as the weeks go on, the work he's starting to feel a little bit healthier. I think 
I'm just looking at the team rankings right now. Uh, Nebraska isn't exactly the best in rush defense. And we see, I saw that against Maryland, uh, that Maryland didn't exactly have one of the better rush defenses in the nation. The offensive line, he's been playing, like, there hasn't been a lot of stepping in and out like there was at the beginning of the season. Has been playing with a lot more consistency as of late. Um, I think it'll open up some holes for Connor Hayward to be able to kind of break through. And I think, I think that will eventually, uh, pull Michigan State through. Um, I wouldn't be surprised though if Nebraska pull out upset like like you just said. Their offense has been on fire as of late. Um, you know, JT, JT Spielman, Sam Morgan are no joke. Um, it just so happens the fact that Michigan State has a pretty good secondary too. Um, so I think I could think it could go, really could go either way. Um, I was talking to Ohio State beat reporter last week, and we we were making predictions for that game, and we're both like. The way Ohio State's been playing, we were both kind of like, yeah, we have no idea how this game is going to go out. So I kind of see that here, the fact that Nebraska's been so hot, um, the fact that Michigan State has been really so cold. Um, but I'll give Michigan State the edge by three points, 27-24. So Michigan State covers. That's all we need to know. Michigan State does. <laughs> book it. That's all book everybody it. really needs to know. Yeah, let's go to Vegas and book it right now. All right, John LeBlanc. Uh, from the State News, I will link to his Twitter account in the description on our site. Make sure you give him a follow if you want to get some Michigan State coverage. Um, I highly recommend it. John, thanks for joining the podcast, my friend. Um, we will uh, we will talk soon and have a good weekend. Thanks, you too, Derek. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was great. There he is. All right, we are back. Brandon Vogel in front of me. Michigan State this weekend. Two football games left. We're almost at the end of the season. Michigan State, I think everybody... So, like, before the season started, there were four games circled on Nebraska's schedule. It was it was Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Michigan State. Nebraska's 0 for 3 so far. This game is looking a little bit less... I don't want to say interesting because it's still interesting, but less um, scary, for lack of a better word. Than, than it did in, in the in the preseason. Um, what what's your take on Michigan State right now? Because they're still on that roller coaster where they're going, they're exceeding expectations, then they're underperforming, and then exceeding, and then underperforming, and it seems a little bit like they're underperforming right now. What's your take on where they're at? Yeah, they're they're about where I thought they would be. Like they're you know they're bounce back from a three and nine season two years ago to ten and three. Is that what they ended up going mm-hmm. last year? was great and it's like you said it's kind of the roller coaster of Michigan State rides but that was basically an eight win team a year ago I was fading them all off season long as members of the Hale Varsity Slack channel know well um which me and you and like a few others uh but now we share it with the world I guess um so we should publish those conversations. <laughs> we, we should we should do one a week, maybe. That'd be some pretty good stuff. In that there. would be amazing. We could just publish the the five person one that we have with yeah. like the Hale Varsity writers. Yeah, that would be something special. It would be fun. We could get someone to sponsor that. We could. Pull, we could pull a little hashtag ad money in there. Yeah, got it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. So so this like six and four. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's kind of what I thought for for Michigan State. Now I didn't see it. Getting to that point, how it did, you know, they've gone back and forth with quarterbacks, listening to Antonio talk about that this week. I think he's officially shook with their, their quarterback situation in terms of trying to managing Lewerke. Uh Lombardi's played the one good offensive game they've really had post-Penn State, so, so that's interesting. But it's still a program that's a strong culture program, um, to, go, to go back to that. You know, nobody expected them to go into Penn State and win. They probably shouldn't have won, um, but they did. And, you know, I, I think there's that potential here with this game, too. Uh, you, you, you know Michigan State always gets up off the turf and responds. So th- that's probably the biggest hesitation I have for this game. Otherwise, I, I feel pretty good about Nebraska's chances. Yeah, so Nebraska's offense has been rolling. And this, this to, I mean, Michigan State's strength is its defense. And it's like not even close. Like they're, right. they're they're vastly different in terms of how the kind of season that they've had. Nebraska's strength is their offense. Uh, defense is lagging behind a little bit. What it, are you worried at all about Nebraska's ability to move the football against this Michigan State? Because what gets Nebraska going is the running game, yeah. 
and it opens up things for A.J. Martinez down the field. And what what gets Michigan State's defense going is just stuffing the run play after play. Yeah, the weather is a complicating factor for me because if it influences how much they're able to throw the ball, I think that might hurt Nebraska's ability to move it overall as much as Michigan State's defense. And I don't want to take anything away from, from them. They're, they're very good. But the one real, like, dangerous dual-threat quarterback they faced this season was, was McSorley. It's the one game where they gave up. So Penn State rushed for, I think, 6.6 yards per carry in that game. Now, Michigan State still won. They found a way to win it. Credit to them. But you go through their other games, it's like, 2.4, 0. 0.97, 3.1. Um, so having Martinez in the run game, I think, is really the key to this game, and it's why I think Nebraska will find a way to run it. Um, Scott Frost as a play caller doesn't hurt either, but you know, I was I was looking at some numbers for a story that'll go up pregame. Michigan State has given up has had more than four given up more than four yards of carry twenty eight times since two thousand eleven. That's twenty eight times in one hundred and five games. Nebraska has three of them. Like, and, and, you know, none of those Nebraska teams have anything to do with this one. It's just been kind of an interesting quirk in there. You know, 2013, they went for 5.7 against the Michigan State defense that was allowing 2.8. Uh, 2012, 7.83. 2012 is probably the closest uh, in terms of what that offense was capable of to this one. That, that team went for 7.8 yards carry against 3.3 average for Michigan State. So it's just been weird, and the, the kind of – linking trait there besides it being Nebraska. You had Taylor Martinez and you had Tommy Armstrong. Two of their quarterbacks. Yeah. Yep. So I think that's I think that's big. Like I come in pretty optimistic about Nebraska's ability to to run the ball. You know, it's not gonna look like it looked against Illinois by any means, but I think they'll move it that way. Does this game come down to simply who can run the ball better? Because if Michigan State's offense can get can get some traction, like because I think about the Ohio State game where we looked at that and we said if Ohio State can because they hadn't had success running the ball, if they can have success running the ball against Nebraska, it's going to be a long day, and they did. They 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 had success and that opened other things up for their offense. It Michigan State has been a little bit bottled up as well. If it, it, is it as simple as saying which team can run the football better on the opposing defense that that will go a long way towards winning the football game. I feel it's that more on Nebraska's side. So if they run the ball well, they're going to be in a great spot to win. Michigan State struggled through the air and on the ground so much. And, you know, they're on their third string running back, I think. If they played Lombardi, who I don't think D'Antonio totally trusts to take care of the ball, so I don't know that they will, um, I would feel a little bit more about that because I think you can add, add something to that Michigan State run game. But for Nebraska's defense, I, I kind of look more at, field position in big plays which you know isn't that exciting but it, if this Michigan State offense has to go 75 yards you know on average like, I just don't know how often they can do it um, so then it becomes a matter again of well, can Nebraska do it enough to just outscore them uh, the big plays too you know they've, Michigan State has some good receivers they just haven't been completing a very high percentage I think they're under 50 percent post Penn State so when Lewerke got injured um, it's, it's been a problem what what do you think happens in this game this weekend I expect Nebraska to play pretty well. Like, Adrian Martinez, you know, doesn't seem to be phased by anything. It's it's pretty remarkable. So, in, unless the weather, you know, adds ugliness to the ugliness that Michigan State probably comes in wanting, I, I think they'll be okay. Like, I feel really good about, about Nebraska's chances in this one. I think they're they're continually getting better, um, as, as we've seen. It's... The, the last home game, seniors, you know, this senior class has, I think, really come to meant, have meant a lot to Coach Frost, which, you know, they're going to say everyone does, and, and they do, but he, he seems to have a special place for, for this one to the point where, like, if Nebraska, you know, five, six years from now uh, is, is is winning conference titles, and it, it wouldn't surprise me to see them, like, bring these guys back to sort of acknowledge that how they started things off. Um so, so I think that adds to it, too. Like like I said, you know, I think when you factor in Martinez's ability as a runner plus Scott Frost's elite-level play calling, and I have no problem calling it like calling it that, I think that's what it oh, it's is. it's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think they'll find ways to run the ball, and I think if Michigan State can't win that battle the way they normally do, they're going to be in trouble. We almost made it this entire podcast without mentioning the seniors. 
It totally was lost on me that this is senior day. I totally, I completely forgot about it. Yeah, you know, Frost's comments on Thursday, uh, which we recapped on the site, you know, we're, we're really good talking about that. And, and he's kind of been greasing the skids for that for a couple of weeks, talking about how he feels bad for this group because it's going to be a ton of fun in the future. And they happen to be the group that, you know, just had to do the dirty work for it. Um, which is why I think this they'll go down as very fondly remembered uh, for, for a team that's at best going to end up 5-7. and seven. Um, You know, Stanley Morgan Jr. is kind of the exemplar of, of what you want in, in a skill position player. Um, Gerald Foster and Tanner Farmer, you know, have, have had their struggles on the field at times, but in terms of locker room guys, in terms of guys you want to put up there and, and answer tough questions when those questions come, they, they nail it. Luke Gifford, Mick Stoltenberg, you know, Guys like that, even Aaron Williams, you know, who two years ago was everyone was real optimistic on him, and, and he's just kind of been a stalwart. You know, he hasn't put up the numbers either. I think that that immediately jump out at you. But those are guys that have played a lot of football for Nebraska uh, through a tough stretch, and now here at the end, it's it's looking really good. So I, I'm sure it's tough for them, but in the long term, they'll be they'll be very fondly remembered for that. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, those were those are guys like they. Like you said, they're not going to get to be a part of the fun stuff that's coming later. So when you're sitting at 0-4, 0-5, and you're losing games the way they're losing, there was no incentive for them to keep fighting. Right. There was no incentive for them to be like, okay, we have to set the example for these guys. Like they, There was nothing for them to gain, yeah. and they did. They did it anyway. And they were, you know, Scott talks all, all, all the time about them being that foundation um, for, like, this is how you work, this is how you take care of your business every single day. And, it, like, they're... Like you said, five years from now, they probably deserve to be brought back because of, you know, that. That I mean, they're culture keepers, Yeah. to borrow his Frost's phrase. that's And that's, I mean, more so than anything else that they brought on the field, I think that's their biggest... Um, contribution? Yes. Why can I not think of a word? Contribution <laughs> to the season. Uh, thank you. Prediction for this game. Back to the Michigan State. Yeah. Um, I'm probably in the neighborhood of... 34, 27, you know, 27 feels like a lot for me for the way this offense went. When I cracked open Michigan State's offensive profile this week to, like, start looking at it, I was like, jeez. I, 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 it, it was worse than what I expected when I, when I went there uh, to see what I could see. And uh, But, you know, Nebraska's defense has, has struggled to, to, to prevent points as well. So, yeah, three touchdowns, a couple field goals. They'll hold Nebraska down from a little bit from what they've been of late, but I think Nebraska comes away with like 34-27 win. So that would be the first time all season that Michigan has Michigan State has scored 20 points in a game and not won. So all four of their losses, they've scored under 20 points. It, 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 it's like if Nebraska can get to 30, I don't think Michigan State's offense can catch that. No, I don't think so either. And I think that's I think that's the key mark. You know, you start looking at something 28-24, like that is probably in favor of Michigan State. I think I've got it. I haven't even thought about a prediction yet this week. I'll say something that starts with 50. <laughs> 77 to 10. <laughs> All in. All you in. You could just go with, I think the score, I'm trying to remember what the score was. So Frost's first game as a quarterback in Nebraska was against Michigan State. And it was like, I think the year before it was 54 to 10. The year after wasn't wasn't much different. But what's the spread for this one right now? Has it moved at all? It, it last night when I looked at it, I think it was up a little bit to like two and a half. But now I heard this morning that it's down to about one and a half. So it's I think it's going to hang right there. I'll say thirty-seven to 27. 37-24. There you go. I'll do that. Thirty-seven twenty-four. Thirteen point Nebraska win. Yours was the Nebraska win. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I was, I had it at seven, so I took a field goal from Nebraska and gave it to Michigan State. So Perfect. that's the difference. Perfect. HailVarsity.com will be the place for you to get all the coverage from the weekend. Um, does volleyball play this weekend? They do. They're at uh, Purdue Friday night. That's kind of the biggest remaining ranked match that they have. So uh, that's a team that will be interesting to watch over the course of December. They seem to be rounding the form a little bit. Tournament, tournament savvy. So we'll see. I think I ask that question every single week. Does volleyball play this weekend? And they almost always do. Volleyball coverage. Jacob Adillo will have volleyball coverage on the website. We will have plenty of football stuff. Um, women's basketball plays Friday night at Washington State. Men's basketball 
Do they play this weekend or are they off until next week? I think week? it's not until Monday. Not until Monday. They, they had a big win over Seton Hall this past week. Jacob Adil and Brandon had coverage on that. That's already on site. You can read that. Um, follow us on Instagram and on Snapchat and on Twitter and like us on Facebook. We'll have coverage um, and kind of you know scenes from the stadium on Saturday. We'll have post-game press conference stuff live on our Facebook page Saturday after the game. And then we'll obviously have a bunch of coverage on HaleVarsity.com. So just uh, make sure that you are bookmarking that page and subscribing to all of us on the social channels. Brandon, thanks for joining the podcast today. It was fun. It was fun. Thank you. And uh, shout out to John for joining the podcast again. I think this is the second or third time he's been on. Um, So shout out to him for doing that. And uh, we will talk to you guys next week.